I remember a, a mission trip that we were preparing. We were, we were training to send a team. Uh, this was years back, uh, years back. Uh, early on, we were uh, sending a mission team out to uh, some, uh, some field. And uh, early on in the training, as we were, as we were training and equipping our, our folks, um, there was this real uh, tangible and, and palpable sense of excitement. Uh, they were fully on board and excited as we sang. They were singing with all of their hearts as we prayed. They were uh, involved and, 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 and deeply invested in it. There was uh, excitement and, and, and just a sense of mission and purpose and fervor and passion in that place. And I remember as, as time went on, we would, we would train for maybe 14, 15 weeks. It got to some point maybe in, in, in week 8 or 9 or 10 where uh, the excitement was still there, the passion was still there, but the focus had been redirected. And though people were excited, they were coming on time, they were loud and they were chipper and they were talking and they were laughing and joking with each other. Uh, instead of the focus being on building the kingdom of God and the glory of God and the majesty and the worth of God, uh, the focus had shifted off center a little bit. And so, yeah, people were still excited, but the excitement was not about being equipped and not about being prayerful and not about being urgent for the sake of the mission. But there was a sense of excitement because of the fact that uh, we were together as people of God. Uh, Some people were excited because they could spend time with a person on the team that they had a crush on. And there was no other way to really, uh, in a non-awkward way, ask them to hang out together. There were some who were excited because it prolonged their stay at church and they didn't have to go home. There was a lot of different reasons for the excitement. And so uh, I remember sensing this and feeling that. And so um, I, I shared from Acts chapter 19, verse 32, where there is a crowd of people in Ephesus, I think, and, and they, they, they riot. Uh, over something or because of something that was going on. And in Acts 19, verse 32, it says, most of the people did not even know why they were there. There was this rioting of people. They were all going with the flow of people, but no one, most of them, it says, didn't even know why they were there. And as I was sharing from that passage, I looked out at our team and I said, can I ask you a question for you to ask into your heart? Do you know why You are here. If we could be honest and look in the mirror, why are you here as part of this team going through this training? Why are you here? Is it because of the glory of God and a longing to see his name become great amongst the nations? Or is it because of some other reason here? And we called our people back to a time of repentance and focus and surrender. And I remember after that, one brother came up to me and he said, I'm sorry because my focus has been off. I've been distracted. I know that as I've been distracted and when I'm distracted, I can easily distract other people from their focus and from their goal and together from our mission. And I don't want to waste this trip. I was so grateful and thankful for that spirit of willingness to receive. Because, yeah, I didn't want him, and I didn't want other people to waste a trip. I didn't want them to distract other people from the purpose for which we were going. Today, I want to do a similar thing right now to remind us of why we go, of why we live, of why we do what we do, of why we come on Sundays, why we are building a building, why we gather for youth ministry, why our house churches meet together. Why do we do these things? 
that we would turn our focus back to what God wants us to focus on so that we would not be distracted and so that as a result of our being focused, that others would not be distracted, that we would walk the plumb line all over again. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 until chapter 10, verse 1. I want to read for one last time in this season, during this series, um, these verses that are so foundational to who we are as a congregation. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through uh, 38, and then chapter 10, verse 1. We have seen in the last two weeks the reality that there is a harvest, a harvest that is plentiful. We saw last week the sense of urgency, the urgency of the harvest because people are dying apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus and that the window of the harvest time is short and there is no time for us to lay down our guard and we have to be diligent and vigilant. Today I want to look at the Lord of the harvest and see what it is that he calls us to. This is the word of God, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. This is the word of the Lord. What is it that the Lord of the harvest is doing in light of the reality of the harvest, in light of the urgency of the harvest? Three things. The first thing, the Lord of the harvest, understand this, harasses comfortable sheep to comfort harassed sheep. The language of Jesus, he saw the crowds, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is seeing that these people, the crowds of people are like harassed sheep who are in need of comfort. And Jesus is using his people, his disciples at the end of chapter, at the beginning of chapter 10, verse one, the very people to whom he's talking are the ones that he sends out. He says, I don't want you to be comfortable. I want to shake you up a little bit to harass you, so to speak, in order that you would go and be the comfort that you have seen me incarnate through my life and through my teaching and through my ministry so that you can be those people who bring that hope to those who are harassed. And I submit to you, harvest, that the Lord of the harvest is wanting to do the same with each of us. It's no small secret that one of the Gods and the idols of American culture is our comfort. That's why, in a sense, as I think about these nicely cushioned chairs, I almost wish that we had the old wooden pews that churches of the old day used to have, because then at least we wouldn't fall asleep. It's hard to fall asleep on an uncomfortable wooden pew. But we love our comfort, don't we? We love our comfort so much. I remember talking with a some of our people, uh, as they came back from a trip to Korea, right? You, you heard some people went to Korea this summer. I uh, was talking to them, how was your trip? Was it awesome? Oh, it was so great, right? So amazing. Oh, my goodness. I ate so much food. And I love Korea. The food is, is excellent, and it's cheap, too. I love the food in Korea. And they're so, such a beautiful country. 
We went to the island of Jeju Island. We went to Seoul. We went to these night markets. We went to all of these places, and I loved it. It was so amazing. It's such a wonderful country, and it's so nice being, I mean, people there are, are cool, love the churches and all that stuff. I said, man, you really had a great time, didn't you? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it so much. So you, you want to live there? You want to move there? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. You probably wanted to stay there a little bit longer then. No, no, I was so ready to come back. So I'm, I'm confused. You said, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this. I'm thinking this myself. You said it was a great, it was such an amazing trip. The food, everything that you wanted was there. People were awesome. You had friends. You hung out all the time. Didn't have a care in the world. But why did you want to come back so quickly? And this is what they said. Because in Korea, it's so hot in the summer, and you can't turn on the air conditioning anytime you want. Now you have certain days that you can use the air conditioning. And so I, need, I was so ready to come back. Because I couldn't handle the heat out there. You see how deeply ingrained in our mindset comfort is. That everything is great, but because there's no AC, I'm dying to get out of this paradise. Unless you do not have a home, homes in America come with air conditioning so that we can live in our homes in comfort. That's why sometimes we come in here and we have a wonderful worship service. Great songs are sung. We really encounter God. And as we leave, uh, some people say, man, it's just so hot in there. It's so hot in there. So much we feel like, and this is, I read an article this week about this saying that Americans feel like comfort is our entitlement, that we are entitled to be comfortable. Right? That's our right as unalienable uh, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness and comfort sometimes we think. If I don't have comfort, then I'm, this is not America. This is not, there's something wrong with us. I came in here because I'm used to it being super hot in here. I'm all right with that. But I came in here today and I was freezing. I was like, what's going on? Why is it so cold in here? Someone give me a jacket because I'm not comfortable, whether it's too hot or too cold. I feel like my entitled, I am entitled to be comfortable. And if you're going to Korea and if you're living in America, and advertisers know this, and so they play this up. Hey, fly Delta. No, you don't have to fly economy. You don't have to fly business. You don't have to fly first class. Delta has a class called Delta Comfort so that you can fly in comfort from the land of comfort to the land where everything is great except they don't have comfort for half the time. You fly in your Delta Comfort. You, if you want to fly Korean Air, you can do that, and you can lie 180 degrees, and you could take that flight in comfort, and you can pay a premium so that for your 14 hours, you can have comfort. You understand, I mean, I, and people do this and, and you, you sky miles and all that stuff. You could do that. But do you see how deeply ingrained in our hearts comfort is? You take your Delta Comfort flight and you land in this beautiful airport and they take you to, ah, oh, I, I want to stay at Comfort Inn. <laughs> Why? Because I have the comforts of America in another country. If you don't go to Comfort Inn, you can go to the Westin where they advertise the heavenly bed. And you can sleep as if you're in heaven. All the comforts available to you. But if that's not good enough, you know that for all of that stuff, there's nothing like the comforts of home where you can sleep on your sleep comfort bed. And if it's too cold, you can sleep under your comforter. And if it's raining outside, you don't even have to get up. You, you, Yelp has a category of food. There's Mexican, there's Chinese, there's Japanese, there's Caribbean. There is a category of food on Yelp called comfort food because they know that us Americans love comfort. And we will do whatever it takes in order to be comfortable. 
But there's a downside to comfort, isn't there? And as long as we're comfortable, many people will remain uncomfortable. Let me explain this. I know every, every parent who has had a newborn baby crying at 3 a.m. understands how much we love comfort and how much we're willing to sacrifice the comfort of our baby in order that we can remain comfortable. But it's not just for newborn parents. It's for people like me. I still struggle with this. Our daughter, uh, youngest one, is about two and a few months old. Uh, she still wears diapers, and so she still uh, needs her diaper to be changed. And so there have been, oh, I could probably count a handful of times where I'm laying on the sofa, a lazy Sunday evening. Olivia's lying on the sofa. Maybe the TV's on. I don't know what the other kids are doing, burning something down around the house. And Elise comes, and she shakes me, and she says, Elise poo-poo. Okay, which is baby talk for, I went poop in my diaper. I need a change. And so I'm like in my comfortable place of napping or laying down at least. And I look at Olive and she's knocked out. And so I say, Elise, tell mommy. <laughs> Elise, tell mommy. And Elise says, no, daddy changed me. Daddy changed me. I say, Elise, shh, mommy. Mommy wants to do it. Okay, mommy wants to change your diaper. Mommy's waiting for you. Okay, go to mommy. And she said, no, no, daddy. I want daddy to change. And I pretend like I'm sleeping. I know I've just spoken to her, but maybe in her two-year-old mind, she said, well, dad's really tired. He just fell asleep. I pretend like she's not talking to me. Daddy, change me. Elise, poo-poo. Elise, poo-poo. And I'm thinking of Olive. Hear it. Wake up. Hear it. Can you hear it? Elise, say a little bit louder. Elise, poo-poo. Elise, wake up. And then she gets frustrated and she plops herself down in front of me onto her poopy diaper. And I think to myself, man, now I've just made my job a lot harder. Elise, poo-poo. And I get up and I change her diaper. I realize that in that moment in time, because I'm so longing to hold on to my comfort, I, fi- I heard the cries. I saw the cries. I smelled the need. But I was unwilling to move because I was too comfortable in the place that I was. And as a result, someone else had to suffer because of my desire to bow down at the idol of comfort. I submit to you that the greatest challenge to the American church in hearing the cries and the bleating of the sheep who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd is because we too are worshiping on Sundays in the worship of God, but the rest of the week we're bowing down to the idol of comfort. And we hear these things. We know that there are needs. We know that there are people who are in need. We know that there are people struggling, but we don't want to move outside of our comfort zone because we're quite frankly okay crying as long as we pretend that they're not crying for us. And so we remain in this place, hearing the cries of people like Elise, who are harassed and helpless, like toddlers without a diaper. And we hear this, and we're okay with it. The God of our age, of comfort, keeps us from going out of our comfort zone in order to help the harassed sheep who are in need of the comfort of God that we can offer to them. Can I ask you a question? Have you become lulled to sleep by the idol of comfort 
in your life. I just don't want to move out of my I'm okay. I'm okay where I am. Quite frankly, my life is busy enough that I don't need to add another thing to my plate. You know, honestly, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay living the way I am. I'm serving in these different ways. I'm doing things behind the scene. I don't need to be in front of people. I don't need to be the one talking to people about Jesus. That's okay. I'm all right. But what if we would lean a little bit closer to the heartbeat of Jesus? What would he be calling us to? Would he be okay? On Wednesday nights, we have prayer meeting. And um, I, <clears throat> I love the fact that at prayer meeting, uh, we play music through, this, through the system or if we're in another room through a computer. And wherever I am in the room, I can pull up my remote control and I can change the song. I can change the volume. It's awesome. I don't have to move out of my seat, out of my chair. Wherever I am, I can comfortably change a song. I love the fact that I can sit on my sofa at home and without lifting my head, I can change the channel on the TV so that whatever my kids want or whatever Olive wants or whatever I want, I can change without having to do anything. I can change a lot of things through the comfort of a remote control, but you cannot change the world in your comfort. We as a church will never change the world as long as we're content to remain comfortable in our places, thinking that we can remotely change the world by us remaining in our comfort zone. At a certain point, we have to realize that the Lord of the harvest helps us to see the urgency of the harvest. There is a reality of the harvest. And if we want to live in fulfillment of our destiny, then we have to be uncomfortable because every time God has wanted to change the world, he has discomforted people who are comfortable where they were. It was Abram who was a wealthy, wealthy man in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And God wanted to start a movement that would lead to the scattering of people throughout the ends of the earth, a great nation, a great people from which would be, would come the church of Jesus Christ. And in order for him to do that, Abram had to move to leave not only his nation, not only his people, but it said, leave your father's household. To leave all of that behind in order that you could be a catalyst to see the world be changed for the glory of God. We were meant for so much more than just being comfortable. God does tell us that comfort has its place, but we have mistakenly thought that comfort is an end rather than a means to the end. Second Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.4 says, A God of all comfort comforts us. Not that we would be comfortable so that we might be able to comfort those with the comfort that we ourselves have received. The world tells us that comfort is the end. You do all of these things. You work so that you can retire and be comfortable. But kingdom culture is different. It says Comfort is not an end, it is a means to an end so that through our comfort, we might bring comfort to those who need comfort, who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If we have been lulled into our sleep by thinking that comfort is an end, and the Lord of the harvest calls us, that you are missing out on the fulfillment of life as it was meant to be lived for you, in your life, in your family, in your church, don't settle for anything less than that. It's not only people like Abram, when God wanted to deliver a nation of slaves, he shook out a man who, named Moses who said, I can't talk, I can't speak, I don't have the right pro I stutter all the time. And he placed him out of that comfortable place and plopped him in front of the most powerful man in the world and said, go ahead, I will be with you. I will be your mouthpiece. You have no excuse, Moses, because the God of the world, the Lord of the harvest stands behind you. 
When God wanted to deliver a nation from the grip of genocide, he raised up a young lady named Esther. They said, would you come out of your comfort zone in the queen's chamber and risk your life by going unsummoned to the king? The sentence for which is death. Would you risk your life and your comfort in order that a nation of people would be saved? And she did. When a giant was tormenting the people of God, a shepherd boy had to get up from the pastures and step onto the battlefield in order that his people would be saved. We will never, ever, ever impact the world. It's not in God's economy to do it from our place of comfort. God constantly shakes and harasses us when we're comfortable in order that we might go to comfort those who are harassed with the comfort that we've received from our Lord God. If you have received comfort through the gospel, through the hope of Christ, that comfort is meant to be the starting point so that that gospel that comforts is the same gospel that challenges us to go forth so that others might be comforted with the hope of Christ. The harvest is plentiful, and the Lord of the harvest harasses comfortable sheep in order that we might comfort harassed sheep without a shepherd. It's the first thing. Second thing, the Lord of the harvest uses our prayer above all in order to reap a harvest. Jesus talks about the harvest being plentiful and the workers are few. And then he says in verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Okay, this is weird. Understand what's happening. Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, is telling his people, ask me to send out workers into the harvest field. imagine this for a second. I am the owner of a farm, okay? Me, DL, farm owner. And we are the workers. And I say to you, hey, guys, 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 can you ask me to send more workers into the harvest field to help you with the work? What are you thinking? You're thinking, why would we do that? You ask us to ask you. You already know that we need more help. We need more workers. Why are you asking me to ask you? You see what's happening here, right? A restaurant owner saying, hey, guys, team meeting, come together. Hostess, hostess, host, servers, whoever, everyone come together. Hey, I want you to ask me to send more workers into the restaurant to help you. They're thinking, why would we do that? The disciples, Jesus says to them, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. They must be thinking, what are you talking about? Don't you know, Jesus, that we need more workers? Don't you know? Why would we need to ask you? Because the ordained means of God to reap a harvest, amongst other things, is that we would pray first. The way that the harvest is going to be reaped is not by us going and, I'm going to open my home and I'm going to serve the heck out of people. I'm going to cook the best meals every week. I'm going to share the gospel. That's all important. But Jesus says, first thing. The first thing, the first order of business, if you want to bring in the harvest, is you need to ask the Lord of the harvest and pray that he would do his work. Because through prayer, a work is possible that you're serving and you're sharing and you're speaking and you're teaching and you're preaching cannot do, is impotent to do. Your prayers reach into the hearts of people in places and in ways that all of our persuasion and all of our speaking and all of our serving could never do. So if we're trying to do ministry apart from praying and we're wondering why people aren't responding, 
we're missing out on the first step. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Don't go. He says, first things first, pray. That's where we start. That's where the power is released so that all of your doing is purposefully accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit, who is supernatural, who is God, who's able to change a human heart, which is something that no human being can do. So, so this, is why, this is why the enemy will do anything possible to keep you from praying. As soon as you get to your place, okay, every day at 12.30, I'm going to go pray. 12.30, your alarm goes off, and you start to pray, and you fold your hands. All of a sudden, you look at your fingernails, and you're like, I need to file my fingernails. That ever happened to you? Or as soon as you sit down to pray, you start praying, and, and you start thinking about, okay, I'm going to lay down my burden. You start praying about the things on your to-do list, and then you realize, oh, there's something on my to-do list. I should just go in and do that. And before you know it, we've been distracted away from the most important task in reaping a harvest. Jesus knows, man. He could, he could send any of us. He just, hey, just go and do it. But the first thing he says is you've got to pray. Why? Why does the enemy keep us and distract us from praying? Why is it that every time it's time for prayer meeting, something happens on the way? Or something happens on that day or something fills our schedule? The, Sam, Sam Chadwick says the enemy doesn't care. He's fine with your prayerless house church leading. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Do that. That's fine. I don't care about that. I ain't afraid about that. He's fine with you as a Bible study teacher teaching without praying. He's fine with you parenting without praying. He's fine with us doing whatever it takes, evangelizing without praying. He's fine with me preaching without praying. But when we pray, the enemy trembles. Because this is when the power of God begins to be activated in our lives. This is why, man, I've always said our Wednesday night prayers are the most important gathering of our week. That's where the fire is lit in our church. I remember times where there'd be just like one or two people coming to prayer meeting. Sometimes just me. I, I've joked about this in the past. Hey, DL, it's good to see you. Thanks, DL. Good to see you too. All right, we're going to have uh, DL open us up in prayer. Right. And now, uh, DL, can you lead us in a song? Yeah. And now... Uh, DL, go ahead and share the devotion to yourself. Okay, and now let's pray. I remember times like that. But more and more as the Lord begins to burden the hearts of people, right, three people and five people and seven people, you see a very tangible difference in our church, a very tangible difference. These days, man, 10, 15, 20 people sometimes coming out and praying. You can, you can sense that. Within a week or two, on a Sunday, you, you feel that. You understand the difference. But imagine this. What if there were 30 people coming on Wednesday night, praying, Lord of the hearts, save people, save people, bring people into your kingdom, raise up disciples, raise up leaders, 40 people, 50 people, packing that room out so that we have no room left, but we have to move somewhere else because people are praying and taking seriously the call of the Lord of the harvest to realize that his greatest work in reaping souls and saving souls and winning souls is done on our knees in prayer. To fight for the glory of God on that battlefield, in that place where that war is being waged, to be a people of prayer. What would that look like? Imagine what that would look like. See, Jesus doesn't just say, okay, pray. The, what, what do we do when we pray? Is we, uh, God does things that we couldn't do, right? There's a harvest that's ripe. We pray, we share the gospel, we pick that ripe fruit. But as we pray, it is the harvest that is yet to be ready 
<clears throat> that is being prepared through our prayers so that they would time, there would be a time for their harvesting. Constantly praying, Lord, save the lost. Bring the lost home. Bring people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Constantly praying, bombarding the heavens in order that he would do a work that we could not do. Sometimes I think about people as, uh, some, you know, some of y'all will say, I'm praying for this person, I'm praying for that person. I think about their issues and we've been praying for a long time. And, and if ever a moment of doubt creeps into my mind when we sing mighty to save, why do, I, why do I think he's mighty to save? Because we've seen countless lives of people who've been changed. I think to myself, if God has saved drug dealers, drug addicts, people addicted to sex, to pornography. If he could save people like that, if he could save marriages and we've seen that, then why can't he do that today? Why can't he do that for that person in our lives that we're praying for? Why, could he, why is that only possible three years ago, two years ago, ten years ago? Why is that only possible in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? The God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, anything that he's done in the past, he's able to do that today and so much more. He's... <laughs> And we think God can't use me. God used all kinds of crazy people. 80-year-old men who had murdered people in their past. Kings who were adulterers and murderers. God used all kinds of people like this. People who didn't have a dime. A widow in Zarephath who had nothing left but one last meal to feed her kid. And then they're going to die. God uses her to restore a prophet. To bless him so that he could change his nation. Anything that we see in the Bible, God can do today, that and so much more, more than we could ever ask or imagine. But here Jesus says, not just pray, but specifically, he says, here's what we ought to pray for. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Eleven years ago, when I, in my last year in seminary, 2005, I was taking a class on church planting. And uh, one, of the, one of the projects, the final exam project, our professor, Steve Childers, said, okay, you need to write a prospectus. You are planting a church. Okay, I want you to come up with your values, your vision, your mission, all these things. And I remember 11 years ago, I sat down on my computer and I ran, wrote out what I dreamed. I said, I dreamed that here at Harvest, our church would be a launch pad where people would go, whether short-term, long-term, wherever it goes, they would go into the mission field. They would go to the nations, burdened by the glory of God with the hope of the nations in them, that our church would be a launch pad for people who would see and savor the beauty of Christ and would go forth. When I think of a launch pad. I think of, of, of a space shell. There's a fire that burns within us. And when we hear things like the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, that we would have a fire lit within our hearts that says, God, I want to go. I don't want to just sit here in my comfortable, this place. I want to get out there. I want to do this. I want to be part of the, 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 the kingdom building venture of God in my life, in my generation. I don't want to just sit here and be comfortable. There's a fire in our hearts and it burns for you. That's what we want. That's what I long for. Not because there's a girl going on the mission trip. Not because uh, there's a guy going on the trip. Not because I can put this on my college resume. But because there's a fire within us lit by the gospel that sends us to go forth. When Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. This is the language that he's using. It's the language of a missile that is sent out. That's being thrown like a ball being ejected into the nations. 
to ask the Lord of the harvest that he would throw people into North Korea, that he would throw people into the Middle East, that he would take these fireballs and he would plant them in new house churches in Orlando, that he would plant them to serve our youth, that he would plant them in your schools and in your churches, in your, uh, in your workplaces, that God, Lord of the harvest, send forth workers, send them out wherever we go. Right, 150, 180 people going wherever it is that the Lord has placed us and that we would get up and we would go because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's what we pray. Lord of the harvest, send us out. Not just raise up more workers, but send forth workers from here. That's what we long for. That's what we want. And that's what Jesus says to pray. The last thing, Lord of the harvest. Not only does he harass the comfortable so that we can comfort the harassed, not only does he use prayer above all other things to reap a harvest, the last thing Lord of the harvest does is he's calling you to the harvest field. You know this, but the very people to whom he told and said to pray in chapter 10, verse 1, those are the people that he sends out and he calls to the harvest field. And the Lord of the harvest, again, I submit to each of us, is calling every child of God to go into the harvest field. Imagine instead of maybe, uh, I don't know, you can 10 house church shepherds or nine house churches and however many shepherds, instead of just those who are serving in different ways, but an army that is released. To go and to infiltrate the places where God has called us to be with the hope of the gospel. That these sleeper cells in your schools would awaken in the cafeteria. These sleeper cells of soul winners for the sake of the kingdom of God would awaken. And they would go forth. Say, Lord, here I am. Send me. We can come up with a bunch of different reasons why not. I'm, I was at a cafe this uh, few weeks back. Very uh, upscale cafe called the Mick Cafe, <laughs> nestled inside of a McDonald's by my home. I had ordered, a, I was just sitting there to do some work, and I felt bad poaching their internet and their air conditioning, and so I bought a, an iced coffee, just one small iced coffee. Can you refill that? <laughs> I'm just like, uh, iced coffee, and I sat down. They said, we'll bring that to you. That's all they need to bring it to me. It doesn't seem that hard to go. But I sat there, and I waited, and I was getting the internet up and going, and Welcome to McDonald's, you know, join the McDonald's app or whatever, whatever. And as I'm sitting there, I'm realizing, holy cow, it's been about three minutes since I sat down and they haven't brought me my iced coffee. It's been about five minutes, it's been about seven minutes. I looked at my receipt, it's been 10 minutes. And then there are other people who are waiting for their food and the entry area starting to get filled with people. This is notorious, one of the slowest McDonald's in human history, but, you know, starting to fill up in that place. And I said to myself, after 13 minutes, I've been waiting for an iced coffee. I started thinking to myself, maybe there's not enough workers back there. I looked back there, and sure enough, there were tons of workers. None of them were really doing anything. Some of them were talking, laughing, pushing each other. Some of them was complaining about blah, 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 something or other. I walked up there and I said, hey, I ordered an iced coffee about 15 minutes ago. I haven't gotten it yet. Said, All right, we're on that. We're on that. We get, we get on that. And so they got my iced coffee. I gave it back. They gave it to me. I sat down. I said, man, that's so weird. They had everything that was necessary in order to meet the needs that I had. 
But they were just too busy amongst themselves, complaining and laughing, doing everything but the very thing that they were called to do. It would be a lot better McDonald's if everyone was doing the work that they had been assigned to do. We're not just talking about milkshakes and iced coffee, Big Macs and Quarter Pounders. Talking about real needs, real people. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And if the workers are so busy fighting and complaining and laughing and messing around, then people with real needs are going to continue to wait when the window of the harvest is not eternal. And God calls us. He says, will you see the harvest indeed is plentiful? Within this area, within this area, we have so many needs, so many people. I sat with a, with a pastor about three weeks ago. He was about to go to Africa. And he said, he said DL, I'm, I'm preaching to tens of thousands of Ethiopian college students so hungry for the gospel. He said, right after that, I'm going to be training hundreds of pastors. May we go morning until night. They're so hungry for the gospel. He said, this is two weeks. He said, can you come with me and help teach? The harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. I had a professor who came back from a trip to Africa. And he came with this like fire in his heart. And he said, man, these people in Africa, when I was leaving, they said, please, please send us more workers. We need more workers. Please, where are the workers from America? And Richard Pratt, my professor, said, there are none. There are no workers. People don't want to come. Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Think about Ecuador where we do ministry in the denomination we partner with. 88 churches in that denomination. Only 20 of them have pastors. 68 churches just like ours. Don't have a pastor. So people like our missionary Gonzalo goes to five different churches preaching the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. The Lord of the harvest is not just calling missionaries in our house churches, not just calling pastors, not just calling people who are in seminary, but he's calling the people of God to awaken, to say, you are the workers. You are the workers. When all is said and done in life, Last week, you know, I, I mentioned how we need to see people with the end in mind. But can I implore you for a second to selfishly look at your life and look at the end with your life in mind? At the end of your life, when your ancestors come to your grave, your tombstone, and they wipe away the dust, and they wipe away all of the moss and all of the things, what are they going to read? That you loved your family. More than life. That's good. But can I say that's woefully incomplete. Since we were made for eternity. To scratch away all of these things and said. They had the nicest home. Amongst their house church members. To wipe away all of that stuff. To say they never missed a home payment. They had a perfect 
credit score. They were the best looking amongst their grade of Sunday school students. Is that what we want to live for? I don't want to live for that. I don't want my kids to live for that. I don't want my family to live. I don't want you to live for that. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and say, I wasted it. I want you to say, I don't care who the world thinks you are. I don't care what the world says about you, that you can be great in heaven. Jesus said there are many in this world, many in this world who are last, who will be first in the kingdom. And nobody cares about what we are in this world. The end of it all, none of that's going to matter. That you had this, this great backsplash on your kitchen. That you had the coolest car. There are many in this life, Jesus said, who are first, who will be last when we get there. Listen, you don't have to make headlines on earth to be a headliner in heaven. You don't have to be well known on this earth to be feared in hell. I don't want you to waste your life when you get to the end. I want you to waste your life and, and, and say, I wish I had done more. And my pastoral bleeding heart for you is that when you get to the end, that not only would you be entered into glory, but that God would look and Jesus would look with such delight over you. And he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You come tired because you gave everything that you had. You left it all on the field and you left nothing behind. Now look at all of these people. Look at all of these people who are coming up to you saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving your life for what mattered. You didn't think you could. You were afraid to do it, but you did. But you did. And in you, making yourself uncomfortable, for me, I saw the gospel. I saw Jesus. I saw the beauty of one who gave everything up in order that he could be uncomfortable. That Jesus came to this earth and he didn't drive the nicest car. He didn't demand CEO parking, the first spot. He didn't have the nicest home. And say, it says that he's homeless. Son of man has no place to lay his head. People had to fund his life, had to fund his ministry. He had nothing. He gave everything up. Why? So that you and I who are harassed and helpless, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord God laid on Jesus, the shepherd, the iniquity of us all. And he took our place and he died on a cross, uncomfortable, so that we could be comforted. He says, will you receive that? And once you've received that, will you go? Get out of your comfort zones. You weren't meant for this place. You were meant for so much more than to sit in your comfortable seat week in, week out, to hear that I am the beloved of God. He's called us to so much more. When you get to the end, that you would say, I came and I joined in the harvest. I gave my life for this. I gave my life to make Jesus known amongst those who didn't know him. And there were no regrets in my life. That that would be, that would be our life testimony. Now, I heard Jesus say, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And I said, Lord, here am I. Wherever you send me, wherever you send me, I will go. The Lord of love, the lover of our souls, is also the Lord of the harvest. And he calls us 
and he asks us, will you join me? The Bible says that God is already at work right now. He's working right now. John chapter 5, God's at work. And all he's doing is asking, will you join him in his work? He's not saying you need to create a work that's not being done. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's already doing it. Saying, will you join him? For some of us, that may be the scariest thing in the world. It might mean we say no to our dreams. Say no to our comforts. Say no to our own set of priorities. But what could be greater than trading temporary gain for eternal salvation and comfort for those who need? What could be so great a cost than sharing Christ with one who's lost? People need the Lord. People need the Lord. The Lord of the harvest calls us forth. Can we spend a few minutes praying? And I, I want to really ask us, challenge us here. I don't want this just to be a message that comes in and out, but I want you to really wrestle in your hearts with what this means. And after we pray for a couple minutes, I'm going I'm to ask us to make a stand today. To say, Lord, if indeed you are calling all of us, I want to I join you. I don't want to give my life to things that don't matter. I want to join you. I don't know what that looks like. I'm scared of what that looks like. But if you are good and you're God and you love me that much and you sent someone to be uncomfortable for me so that I might know comfort, then God, I want to go to. I want to follow you. Maybe that means to start something at my school. Maybe that means to, to, to approach a, my shepherd and say, I want, to, I want to be equipped and trained to be a shepherd. Maybe that means that you're awakening a dream to go into a nation Maybe a commitment now to go uh, to summer missions next year. Whatever that might look like. Let's spend a couple minutes right now responding to the Lord of the harvest. Praying to the Lord God as he wrestles with our hearts right now. God, I want to follow. Lord, I want to follow you. But it's hard. I'm scared. I'm comfortable. But Lord, there was a man, there was a woman who constantly, constantly came out of his comfort, her comfort zone to share hope with me. That's why I'm here. I want to I keep that cycle going. It's not going to end with me. Let's pray that to the Lord God, can we? Let's pray for a few moments right now. Lord, I want to follow. I want to obey you. You can pray quietly. You can pray aloud. Let's honestly, sincerely pray. What does that look like for me? What is the next step? Help me, Lord God. Let's pray together. And then I'll, I'm going to give us an invitation to respond together.
I want to give us an opportunity to respond. I'm not looking for anyone or anything, and I'm not looking for numbers. I'm not going to use this to, to do anything, but I want this to be for you to say, yeah, I want to be serious about what I've just heard and about who we are as a church. If you felt like the Lord God is speaking to your heart, saying, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to come out of my comfort zone. I want to be used by you in my school, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my community, somewhere. I want to be used by you in this world. I want to give my life for something bigger than a tombstone. I want to live for something bigger. A lot of what we do is communal, but this is not about what other people do. Right? This is a just, just about you. I want to live for the sake of the harvest. I want to give my life to that. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's a hundred. Again, this is not, I, I, I'm not concerned about the number. I want to give you an opportunity for you to respond and to tangibly say, I'm going to do something uncomfortable. I'm going to rise to my feet and I'm going to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Use my life for you. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask for you to stand wherever you are and just in your heart, pray to the Lord God. Go ahead. This is your time. If you wrestle with the Lord God, if he wrestles with your heart, Here I am, send me as your sign of commitment to the Lord, sign of surrender. Here, Lord, here I am. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been at church. God wants to use our lives looking, longing for people to be obedient that he could use for his purpose. Lord, use my life for your glory. It's going to give us another half minute. So I want to pray for uh, those who are standing. So next half minute you can Pray in your heart, decision in your heart, Father, help me. Let's all, let's, yeah, let's pray, just pray. Lord, I'm here. God's going to use your prayers more than anything else to release a harvest, to reap a harvest. Lord Almighty, that you would use yeah, If anyone else, you feel like this is the Lord calling me here. No judgment, no criticism, whether you stand or not. God doesn't love you any more, any less. We don't love you any more, any less. The last time, go ahead and invite you to stand. As we do, I just want to invite those who are around these people, if you're seated, can you just pray for them? 
if you're close enough to put your hand on same gender, you can put your hand on their hand or in their back or on their arm, their shoulder. Opposite gender, you just reach your hand out towards them. Let's pray. Lord, send forth workers into your harvest field. Let's pray out loud. Don't be self-conscious. Let's pray. And let what happens in here be powerful. And to be a, you can feel free to move around this place. If you see a friend who's standing, let's go and let's pray for them. Let's really uh, allow today to be a time that God really uses to do something beautiful in our lives. Can we just all stand to our feet just in a posture of prayer, a continued spirit of surrender to the Lord God? Let's just pray, Lord God, may my life be used by you. you wanna, um, if you want to lift your hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord, you can do that. But let's say, Lord, here, 
my life. Use me for your purpose. Use me for your glory. Father in heaven, we pray that you would use our lives from the youngest sixth grader to the oldest person in here. One generation declaring the greatness of God to another. May we know that every Sunday and every time we gather in our communities, we can be strengthened. We're strengthened in order that we can go forth and call more people to see the greatness and the beauty of God in and through us to help us may we not give in to comfort may we not be numbed by the message of the world remind us that kingdom's culture is different so that we might truly find life in you we love you because you've loved us first we pray these things in Jesus name